Good morning. How's everybody doing? Y'all getting used to this like earlier start to the message? <laughs> if you're a guest this morning, welcome. My name is Ryan and we've over this, this, this TED Talk series, we kind of switch things up and we're having communion every week together and we kind of get into this talk earlier. So it's not so like, I don't know. I kind of like it. Have y'all, have y'all enjoyed having communion every week? Good. I think it's here to stay. A little secret. A little secret. Shh. Don't tell anybody. We try everything as an experiment, but it is great to see everyone here. And again, a special welcome. If you're a guest this morning, I got to meet a couple of folks that were new here for the first time. Welcome. We are glad you're here. Uh, my cell phone number is right there in the program. And if you are new around Crossroads, or maybe you've been around for a little bit and we've never been able to get together and you've never had the privilege of buying me coffee or an old fashioned, uh, we can make that happen. We can make that happen. Just send me a text message, and I would love to do that. And uh, it's just a great way for me to get to hear your story, share any uh, information about our church, myself. So do that, seriously. And I always like to do this every now and then. Raise your hand up nice and high if you've ever sent me a text message and we've had coffee together. So if you look around, it's not something we're just saying. You actually can do this, and it would be wonderful uh, to do that together. So we're in a series called TED Talks, The Book of Lasso. Uh, we do talk about the Bible, okay? So if you're coming here and you're kind of a church person, maybe you've moved into town and you're looking for a church and you thought, oh, goodness, they're not going to talk about the Bible. We teach wisdom from Scripture, our sacred text, every week. But, and so I will get there eventually, all right? So you just got to give me a few minutes, all right? But uh, we've just kind of been exploring this television series that has taken the world by storm and has some beautiful characters and character development and themes all throughout it. And so I want to encourage you to go back and listen to some if you haven't. And I try every week that if you haven't ever watched this show, that you still can kind of keep up with us. So if you haven't watched the show before and you came in for the first time, and you're like, oh Lord, I don't know anything about this. Stick with it. Uh, hopefully uh, it'll make sense, even if you've never watched the show. And you did hear that today was Wendy's birthday. Uh, so why don't we just on the count of three sing happy birthday. If you're at home, please tune in. Uh, she's right over here. Uh, didn't she do a great job with announcements? So um, how about on the count of three, little happy birthday this morning. One, two, three, happy birthday. Come on, sing it out. This is the highlight of the day. To you, happy birthday. Very good. Wendy, very good. Happy birthday to you. Wonderful, wonderful. Very good. So if you're a guest, Wendy and I have been married for 25 years, so I'm allowed to do that to her and embarrass her like that because she won't get to hit me for another 45 minutes So, for doing it in a very playful, loving way. So, Listen, I got a question for you. How many of you, by a show of hands, you've ever felt dissatisfied in some arena of your life? Okay, good. So relevant topic today. Relevant topic today. Um, how many of you, let me ask this question, have you ever felt satisfied in an area of your life? Right? Yeah. So we have this emotional reality where we experience satisfaction and dissatisfaction. So perhaps you have been married for a long time, right? Uh, 20 plus years. And you go, there have been moments in my marriage where I've been very satisfied and there have been moments in my marriage or my long-term relationship where I've been unsatisfied. Maybe you've been in your career for a long time and you go, you know, there's moments where I felt really satisfied, like I was appreciated, and there's moments where I felt kind of dissatisfied. Now, here's my question for you. Which one, satisfaction or dissatisfaction, in your mind, you don't have to vote on this one, but just think about it, a little thought, thought exercise. Which do you think is a healthier space to be in? 
Which do you think is better for your mentality, for your mental well-being? Satisfaction or dissatisfaction? Which do you think? Just think about it for a second. Now, I think, strangely enough, that satisfaction, not dissatisfaction, is the more dangerous emotion. I actually think that satisfaction is really a danger to excellent living. You say, wait a second. And here's why I think that. Because satisfaction can easily become complacency. Right? We get satisfied with where we are in our career. We get satisfied with our relationship. We get satisfied with our parenting. We get satisfied with our finances. And all of a sudden, a bit of complacency can set in. And it can be subtle, but we're just kind of like cool with it. Like everything's downstream. I haven't experienced that for about four years. One day I will, hopefully, you know, I'll get that downstream again. I don't know, you know. And then what happens when we find ourselves, and it doesn't take much complacency, to all of a sudden become complacent, right? And it spills over into other arenas of our lives, right? And, and satisfaction becomes complacency, and then complacency will quickly become mediocrity in our lives. And how many of you woke up today and said, you know what, my life's goal is just to be mediocre. I want a mediocre marriage. I want a mediocre kids. I want mediocre finances. Like, nobody thinks that, right? I mean, you've settled for a mediocre pastor, and I appreciate that. I really do. Like, I think that's wonderful. I even got some booze for that one, right? Like, like no, fix yourself. This is crazy. You've got two more weeks. So. But mediocrity sets in, right? So this idea, right, of which state of being exists and is really this idea that satisfaction can be a problem. And the character that I want to look at today from Ted Lasso in this big theme is like, well, answers the question, well, what happens when we move from satisfaction to complacency to mediocrity? Like, what happens in our lives? How do we get unstuck? How do we move beyond mediocrity? And so today I want to look at this character, Keely Jones. How many of you have watched the show and you know Keely or Kayla, depending upon who says her name in the show, right? So Keely Jones is this really fantastic, beautiful character uh, who really goes through this massive morph and change, not of her like personality, but just in her own understanding of herself and her ability and what's possible in her life. And we first meet Keely Jones in episode one of season one. So all the characters are being introduced and we meet her as this person who is really known as being the girlfriend of Jamie Tart. And Jamie is the star player for the team a terrible teammate, arrogant, like just nobody likes him. He's rude. He puts his teammates down. And she is this, she's the girlfriend and her identity is really wrapped up in like all the superficial things about life. Her identity is wrapped up in her looks, the clothes that she wears, who she's dating, that whole thing, right? And so we kind of meet Keely and her first big scene happens in the next episode. And all of a sudden, she comes flying into the parking lot for the players, and she's in this really fancy car. It streaks to a stop. She hits the brakes. She pops up out of the car. She's in her designer clothes, and she asks Ted and Rebecca. Ted's the coach. Rebecca's the owner. And she asks them. They happen to be standing outside. She just pops out, and she says, would you rather be a lion or a panda? <laughs> kind of an odd question, you know? Would you rather be a lion or a panda? So they both are kind of confused, and Rebecca, the owner, just kind of walks away in disgust. Like, just, I can't deal with this woman, you know, just totally put off. So she starts to walk away, but Ted answers immediately, gotta go panda, gotta go panda. 
And this triggers Rebecca, who can't imagine why anyone would want to be a panda over a lion. So she stops in her tracks in the parking lot. She turns around, and she's like, are you mad? Are you insane? Pandas are fat, and they're lazy, and they have pea-stained fur. Now, I have to adjust the language from Ted Lasso to Church Lasso, okay? So all throughout this, this talk today, you know, if you're familiar with this show, they enjoy their curse words, okay? Uh, it's very cathartic for them, very therapeutic, right? And she says, are you crazy? You know, majestic, uh, lions are powerful and they're majestic and they rule the jungle. And Ted responds, well, try telling that to an elephant. Can I be an elephant, Keely? Keely says, no, you have to be a lion or a panda. You just, no, you can't, just lion or panda. And he goes, well, he doubles down, panda, absolutely a panda. And now Rebecca's just getting more and more irritated, and she's like, lion! And they're getting into this argument in the parking lot, and she says, what's black and white and red all over? Any panda that meets a lion, <laughs> right? Any panda that gets near a lion. The answer is lion. And with that, Rebecca turns, leaves with, with, with confidence, and probably continents too, but leaves, <laughs> and... right? Sometimes you just get talking too fast in a sermon, right? Our founding pastor knows all about that. He's like, yes, embarrass yourself up there, Ryan. So she gets into her car, drives off, right? And so now you have, like, for a, now you have Ted and Keely are just standing there, and Keely is, like, completely overwhelmed by this moment. And she is just, like, really taken back, and she is, like, she just looks at Ted, and she just says, that Rebecca is an intimidating and very tall woman, she says, the minute she locked eyes with me, I just started sweating. And that really is the beginning of this very interesting relational journey between Keely and Rebecca, right? And so that starts it all off. And, and over the next four or five episodes, you just see Keely start to interact with Rebecca. And, and there's like a scene where Rebecca really has a breakdown and Keely kind of comforts her. And in episode five, they're standing in the hallway and Rebecca offers Keely a job. So Keely had done some work for her boyfriend and getting him some PR, and she offers him some work doing PR for other players. And Keely kind of seems to assume that the job is really because she was nice to her. She doesn't want to take it because of their friendship. And Rebecca says, men do it all the time. Why not? What's the problem here? Right? And so Rebecca says to her, listen, just give it a thought. Unless you want to carry on. And she just kind of looks at her confused. She's like, what is it that you do again? And Keely kind of has a thought. She's like, what do I do? And she says, well, I, I guess I'm sort of famous for being almost famous. And she has this moment where you just see it, right? It's brilliant, where she just is like, and in that, she's like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what am I all about? And Rebecca just kind of looks at her and goes, excellent. Maybe think of this as a plan B. And it's fascinating that even in that moment, like Rebecca, this very powerful leader, owner of the team, like sees something remarkable and refreshing in Keeley. And she just knows there's more here. And so this begins this journey of a mentor, of a friendship over the next really two seasons, the whole story that exists. And what's fascinating is we kind of get to see these two interact and their friendship develop. We understand that both of them seem to need one another right? They both encourage each other. They both sharpen each other. They both really kind of make one another excellent in who they are. And this idea of 
being pulled out of mediocrity, this idea of having people in our lives that pour into us and that we pour into, like our scriptures have a lot to say about this actually, right? There's a lot of wisdom in the Bible around and, and images and stories of mentors and protégés like this and how powerful it can be in our lives, especially when we find ourselves fearful, when we find ourselves not believing in ourselves. And so just a couple of verses that we find in Scripture that help point us in that direction. First is there's this letter in the New Testament called Hebrews. And we're not really sure who wrote the letter uh, to the Hebrews, uh, probably a Jewish uh, person, Jewish leader. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says this, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. That's pretty great, right? Like, let's, let's think about how we can help each other become the best versions of ourselves, right? How do we provoke? How do we spur one another? And then it says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, can we just pause for a second? This verse in the Bible has been used oftentimes to manipulate people into going to church. Can I get an amen? Okay, so let's do that today, because I'm all for church attendance. No. It, it feeds me, right? Church attendance feeds me, right? Now listen, is gathering important? Yes, I absolutely believe that. But I don't believe that, that, that we ought to take this verse from 2,000 years ago and go, see, and start pointing fingers, you better be in church every week, and tuning in online doesn't count, and all this other stuff, right? Because the point of this verse is what? Not to gather together just for the sake of what we got in the same room, but to spur one another on to good deeds. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but back in first century Palestine, there was not Zoom. <laughs> I mean, the internet wasn't going to come around for another five or six years, okay? So, if you were going to encourage someone, I mean, I mean, let's just be honest, the Telegraph didn't exist, Pony Express wasn't there, you know, AT&T hadn't come up yet, you know, like none of those ways of connecting existed, all right? So if you were going to encourage someone, you had to do it what? Face to face. Now, is there still something super powerful about that? Oh, good. We're on the same page, right? There really is. It, there is something very powerful about face to face, in-person connectivity. But the point that the author is making here, the writer of this letter is not you better go to church. If you don't, it's 12 years in purgatory, right? The author's saying, hey, we ought to use our lives to encourage one another, and that means getting together. And it goes on and says, and, and we should encourage one another, and then the writer says, all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, there's the problem. <laughs> Throughout a lot of the New Testament, there was this idea that, that there was going to come a moment where the world was going to end, and it was going to happen really, really quickly, Paul believed this. A lot of the writers of, of the New Testament, they believed that there was going to be some cataclysmic event and God was going to set everything right and destroy the world. And guess what? They were wrong. That's okay. And it's cool that we have that because you don't always have to be right for God to love you, okay? So yeah, the, the writer of Hebrews thinks like, you better be getting together, encouraging one another, go, do good work, get your life, like be living with a purpose. And they were kind of motivated by this idea that like, it's going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end. Now they were wrong. And there's a lot of people that are still wrong that still believe that, but that's okay. We just love one another. We all believe things that are wrong. But the point of the passage is beautiful. And that is this, that peacemakers, my goal for all of you, for those of you that are tuning in, for every person that says Crossroads is their community, is to be a peacemaker. And peacemakers encourage others towards their excellence. 
that we look for opportunities to pour ourselves into others, not asking ourselves, what can I get from them? How can they make me better? But no, how do we pour ourselves for their own excellence? And that's what we see with Rebecca. And now the beauty of it is that Rebecca becomes a more excellent person, becomes filled with more character through that relationship. But, but there's so much wisdom. And we see this all throughout major characters in Scripture. We see it, that there's just a pouring out of ourselves into others. Now, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, talks about the need for people pouring into us. And Proverbs chapter 15, now Proverbs, remember, Proverbs is a book that's written, it's like little wisdom sayings, Proverbs. Uh, they generally work when you're in the middle to upper class. Okay, so these are not promises. And this is the reality of if you are a recipient of the systemic, you know, kind of, if I can, you know, if you're a recipient of the systemic privilege of a culture, these tend to work. If you're not, they don't work. You can work as hard as you want, and if you are not the recipient of the systemic, right, reality in which you live, the dominant culture, the dominant, whatever, they don't work. You can work as hard as you want, and you might not get ahead, right? So just we have to remember that when we look at Proverbs, that Proverbs was written certainly by people that existed within the, the court of the king, these were people that had means that the system worked for them, all right? So these are general principles that kind of live out when you are the recipient of the privilege that comes with systemic realities, okay? Now, all that being said, here's what it says. Without counsel, plans go wrong. Without counsel, plans go wrong. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, again, general principle. If you have means and resources to put your plans into effect, yeah, some counsel is going to help you with that. But if you have no means, no resources, if you are on the opposite end of privilege, it doesn't matter what advice you get, you're still not going to be able to be successful. There's a systemic reality there, okay? Now, here's what's beautiful about this. Like, what this, but what the principle is, it's saying, listen, you got to have people in your life giving you healthy, wise inputs as you think about your future. And so peacemakers know the importance of voices in their heads. If the only voice in your head is yours, you got a problem. If you're trying to make a decision and the only voice you hear rattling around up there is your own voice, it is biased. <laughs> it is blind in certain ways. You've got to have other voices in your head. When you're thinking about, how am I going to tackle this issue at work? How am I going to build a healthy relationship? How am I going to parent? How are we going to walk through this? Like, you want other voices in your head providing you wise counsel. And here's the thing. You will never be too wise. You'll never have enough information. You can never have enough just understanding. You always need more. In fact, Proverbs 9.9 says this. Give instruction to the stupid Give instruction to the dumb. Give instruction to the ignorant. That's what we would expect it to say. No, it says give instruction to the wise and they will become wiser still. Teach the righteous. And now I got it. Righteous. You have to replace the word righteous. Get rid of your moral theistic like understanding of a finger pointing God. Righteousness is right behavior and action towards one another. It's the positive nature of justice, right? It's restorative justice. It's the opposite of systemic injustice, right? It means we're not using, you know, the Bible often talks about, you know, unfair or evil scales, right? We're using, there's equitable realities to life, right? So it says, teach the righteous and they will gain in learning. One of the, what is this fighting against? Complacency. 
Well, I got all I need to know. No, no, no. You continue to be poor. And so peacemakers know you can never be too wise. You can be too arrogant, right? We get that, right? You can be too confident, but we can never be too wise. Always having an open heart, always looking to grow, always looking to learn, to have people pour into us. And for some of you, you are so wise, it's just very difficult for you to find wiser people to pour into you. I understand that. But you got to keep looking. Got to find that one person that can offer you a perspective that maybe you wouldn't consider on your own. And one of my favorite people to ever have existed on this planet really lived out this principle, Jesus. Y'all ever heard of Jesus? Pretty amazing guy. Grew up in a little village north of Jerusalem. Maybe went to the big city once. Maybe a few times, we're not really sure. Had a definite vision and an understanding of God. And Jesus himself knew the power of pouring into other people's lives. In Luke chapter 6, one of the gospel stories, we actually have one gospel, it's an according to, it's a version of the story of Jesus. Luke chapter 6, it says that during those days, Jesus went out to the mountains to pray. And one night, he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And then when he came back down, he called his disciples. Now remember, you might not be aware of this, but Jesus had lots and lots of disciples. Lots and lots of people who followed him, who wanted to take his yoke, his learning, his way of seeing the world. And he knew that he couldn't pour into all of those people. And so he called and he, he gathered 12. And he called them apostles, right? And so Jesus took these 12 and he mentored them. He mentored a select few by intentionally investing time and energy and wisdom into them. Now, these select few were called apostles. They were disciples, but they were called apostles eventually. I don't, historically, we don't know if Jesus actually called them apostles. That's what they became known as. But we know that there was a unique relationship between Jesus and the 12. Then there was another unique relationship between Jesus and three of them. It's kind of a fascinating hierarchy that existed in who Jesus invested into. Now, the Bible word for this is apostle or disciple. How many of y'all walk around going, I just need somebody to disciple me? That's kind of weird, right? You go into work, ask a coworker who's been there for a decade longer, would you disciple me in the ways of accounting? They're probably going to say no. Just my guess, you're going to be weird, okay? Right, but if you went in and said, hey, I'm looking for a mentor, that, that would make sense, right? That's kind of, so, so like, the, the, like let's say the normal word for disciple, right, would be a mentor. The normal word for apostle would be a protege, one who's going to continue on in this way and actually evolve it. Not just be stuck in one, but evolve it and grow with it. And so Jesus seemed to have this interest in saying, okay, I've got to have people that I invest into, that I walk with, because I can't, right? Because Jesus, I mean, newsflash, he was limited. Jesus was limited. He, he couldn't, I mean, he was very limited, just like you and I are limited. Limited in how, how much time he had, 24 hours in the day. It's not like Jesus had some special, like, God telepathy that he was just, like, connecting with people. No. Like, one of the doctrines of Jesus that has, from the beginning of the church is that Jesus was fully human, which comes with all of those limitations. And that's the beauty of him, in my opinion. That's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus doesn't come to show us what it's like to be God, but to show us this is what it's like to be human, and you can do it too. It's powerful, right? And so it's beautiful. So Jesus seems to say, okay, I can't invest the same energy in everybody, so I'm going to choose 12, and I'm going to choose three, and I'm going to pour my wisdom into them. 
And it's interesting because if you read the story of the disciples, especially in the gospel story of Mark, like these, like it's so much buffoonery, it's unbelievable. Like Mark knows, like these disciples, these 12, oh my goodness, we are in trouble. Like they just don't ever get anything. And that's kind of the beauty of the story. There's so much growth in them. So here's what I don't want us to miss. As we kind of gather, we're in our TED Talks, we go, okay, why? What does this matter? Here's the thing. Peacemakers. Again, that's what we want to be. We want to be peacemakers in this world, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. You, I say that every week. I'm like a broken record. I'm sorry. It's all I got for you, right? Peacemakers, they give and receive mentoring through intentional relationships. It is a mark of a peacemaker that we have intentional relationships that we're pouring ourselves into and, and relationships that are pouring themselves into us. And I would, I would anecdotally say this, that it is a very, very small percentage of our world that actually does this. There's a very small percentage of our world that actually says, to be excellent in life. And, when, and, and here's the thing, some of you will hear that and go, well, isn't, I mean, aren't we supposed to be humble? Like, humble and excellence are two separate things. Why, why wouldn't? Why wouldn't God, the universe, whatever word you want to use, why wouldn't that reality want you to be the best steward of your life and live in the most excellent way, as Bill and Ted would have said? Some of you that are my age got it. <laughs> Some of you are like, what in the world? I'm going to another church. Why wouldn't that? Now, there's no shame, there's no pressure, there's no like, oh, for you to be loved, you got, no but just that desire, why wouldn't? Like there's a thread that gets twisted by a lot of theology into like name it and claim it and all this stuff that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. No, I think God, the universe, love, desires, and wants you to be excellent. Not for your own sake, but for the sake of peacemaking in the world. Peace on earth. And Keely and Rebecca in the story of Ted Lasso, they serve as this beautiful example of the power of this kind of relationship. So, Keely goes and works for Rebecca. They develop this relationship. And in the season finale of season two, right, as the story goes on, Keely is sitting at her desk on the phone. She's working on dealing with some PR fallout because an article had just been printed in the newspaper about Ted who had a panic attack while he was on the field coaching and so she's trying to work through all of that. She's on the phone. She hangs up the phone. And then she looks over at her computer and she sees something on her computer. And you don't know what it is that she sees, but it startles her. And she screams a few expletives, right? And she's kind of excited. It's, you're not quite sure if it's happy or not happy, but it seems happy. You're not, you don't really know. And you kind of, the viewer is left wondering, what did she read? And then a few minutes later in the episode, we see her kind of going into Higgins' office. Remember, we looked at Higgins a few weeks ago. He's the director of football operations, kind of a quirky guy. He kind of functions as this kind of Gandalfy character at times. So he, he kind of, he, she walks in and, and, and just like wants to talk to him. And Higgins is kind of taken a bit back by that because like Keely sits at the cool table and Higgins is like me, never sat at the cool table at lunch in high school. Didn't even bother going to the lunchroom in high school. You know, some of us were just not cut out for friends. I get it. And so Higgins, like, taken back a little bit by it, right? And he's like, is something wrong? And Keely's just kind of, like, holding back her excitement. She's like, actually, something is incredibly right. 
And she starts to tell him that the money people that had backed her idea, this idea called Banter, which was a dating app that Keeley came up with, and, and so a venture capitalist group backed that idea. Well, they want to finance her opening up her own PR firm. And so she tells this to Higgins, and they like, oh, they get so excited about it, right? And then, like, like they just can't believe this is happening. And then it just, like, Keeley gets super serious all of a sudden. She says, I need some advice. And Higgins is, like, super excited. He's like, oh, I'm flattered you would come to me instead of Ted or Roy. She's like, well, they're at training. <laughs> And she says, oh, well, instead of, he says, oh, well, instead of Rebecca then. And she's like, no, she's the one I'm afraid of telling. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm just glad I'm on the list, you know? So they have this kind of fun exchange, right? And she just kind of gets quiet, and she looks at Higgins, and she goes, I'm scared. And Higgins goes, oh, well, you know, the perfect mansplaining, right? <laughs> He's like, well, it's perfectly natural. It can be terrifying becoming a boss. And Keely's like, no, no, no. I'm terrified of telling Rebecca I'm leaving. Oh, right, Higgins said. Right, 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 because she's been so intimidating. Keely's like, no. <laughs> she's one of my best friends. Oh, yes, 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 because you leaving would be a betrayal on the level usually reserved for Greek mythology. <laughs> and finally, she's like, no. I, I just... I don't want to appear like I'm not grateful for the amazing opportunity that she's given me here. And Higgins, oh. And then Higgins drops this wisdom that's so good. He says, you know what, Keely? A good mentor hopes you'll move on. But a great mentor knows you will. Ooh, I like that, she says. She says, I just made it up. <laughs> wow, she says. And the scene ends. A good mentor hopes you'll move on, but a great mentor knows you will. The next scene we find them in is Keely, the next day she's walking into Rebecca's office to talk with her. And there's just like this, she just like walks in, says, hey, they say, hey, and then it cuts immediately to just like Keely and her on the couch and Keely's just bawling her eyes out and she's just saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. So you know that she's told her and the camera then zooms in on Rebecca, and she's crying, all the mascara is smeared. She's like, no, don't be, it's good, it's good. And she's like celebrating. And, and then Keely makes this statement. She says, but you helped this panda become a lion. A little throwback to episode one. And what's fascinating is, if you're not familiar with it, the whole decision between panda and lion was she was had a modeling photo shoot and she had to choose between being dressed up like a panda or being dressed up like a lion. And here she is now going to go run her own company with millions and millions and millions of dollars at stake. And with this giant hug, Rebecca tells her, I'm just so proud of you. And so they're laughing and they're crying and the phone buzzes and they get news that Rupert, you know, Rebecca's ex-husband and arch enemy has just bought uh, this this team called West Ham, which is like the rival, and so they're just like commiserating about like how he just like has this tendency to do evil things, and how awful it is, and they can't believe it, and they kind of work through that, and they chat about it, and then she looks at, Rebecca looks at Keeley and just says, I've just got to, she just has to give her one more piece of advice, and she says this, she says, a bit of advice for being a boss, hire your best friend. You know, and Keeley swears at her, and they hug, and they cry, and the waterworks begin all over again. 
there's something powerful about this scene where, where, where they're, they're, they're connecting with one another and they're in some ways sad and, and, and weeping over something that's being lost, but celebrating together. And it reminds me of the scripture that says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And rarely do we see it in one moment happening that, that, that Rebecca is kind of rejoicing with Keely and Keely is weeping with Rebecca over this loss. It's a beautiful picture of how in their everyday normal life, this idea of mentoring and relationships plays out. And so in your life, in your everyday normal life, when you walk out of here today and you enter into whatever that is tomorrow, like wherever you will be tomorrow is far more important than where you are right now because that's the moment where peacemaking happens. And I want to encourage you with a couple of things. To one, invest in your future for your excellence. There, that is not pride, that is not arrogance, that's not a lack of humility, that's stewardship of your life. That's stewardship of the, the raw material that the universe, that God has given you. Invest in that. Invest in the future of your spiritual, your vocational, your relational health. Find those people that are around you that you look at and go, you know what, that person seems to have got it right. They've got something magical in them. They got something. I, I, I had somebody one time talk about like, there's people that just have something in their front pocket and you got to get at it. What is it? What do they have? I want it. And you might look at somebody in the sphere of life and go, man, they have just seemed to, to move forward in their career and they've done it with integrity and with excellence. And you go to that person and you say, hey, I've noticed this. Can I steal some of your time? Could you help me? Because there's something about you that I want. Because there's something about you that is excellent. So where and who and when can you ask? So have the courage and the humility to ask somebody, could you invest in me? Could you invest in me? Or maybe somebody's offered it and your pride has gotten in the way. I don't need them. I'm fine. I got where I am today just from stuff. I pulled up my own bootstraps. I always do that when I do bootstraps. I don't know why. It's like I've done it for years. <laughs> You've fallen into that lie of the bootstraps. Haven't realized the systemic privilege that is a part of the reality of pulling up the bootstraps. And so you've like pushed it away and somebody has seen something in you, but there's just been, you know, so, so humbly accept that, you know? Maybe in your faith, it's like, okay, I'm just kind of, where am I going? What am I doing? Like, I want to encourage you to courageously jump into a group around here. Right? If you're exploring a life of faith, there's the Fresh Perspective group that just started. Maybe you've, you've been around the Bible for a long time and you're just kind of like, oh, I just don't. You know, there's a group that just started up this last week on, on like digging into like, how do you read the Bible well? leveraging a great resource to kind of look at like how do we think particularly about the hebrew scriptures and how do we read it well and that's an investment into you and there might be people in that group that you could come and connect with there's all types of ways so you join a group that'll help you grow in your faith maybe you're in a relationship and and that relationship is getting serious and and you should like look around in your life and see is there a, is there a is there a couple that you could go like hey could we go out to dinner a few times and and could we ask you some questions about how you've navigated life? And would you be willing to be open and share with us how you worked through? Because you made it this far and, and we just see something. Maybe ask that question. It takes some courage and some humility. But invest in yourself. You're worth it. Your excellence is worth it. And then I want to encourage you. 
Invest in someone's future for their excellence. Like, look around you. Who's 10 years behind you? Who's 15 years behind you? And have the courage to think, maybe I have some experience that could help. That's not arrogance. That's not pride. That's generosity. I have this belief, and I have, it's not empirically proven, but here's what I think. I think if you're 24, 25, 26 years old, what you desperately want in your life is somebody who's 50 years old who's been through it. I don't think you want somebody who's 50 years old to like come and teach you about the Bible. You want to hear like life, like how did you navigate when you got fired? How did you navigate uh, that first job when, when you saw everybody around you excelling, but you refused to play the games and you were a peacemaker even still and you got to where you are in life? Like you worked really hard at a really difficult like, like manual work and you stuck through it and did 25, 30 years and now you're retired and you seem like you're enjoying life. Like, like you have something to offer that. that. I love having coffee with John Smith. I bug him all the time. Can we have coffee? Because he's old. Wait, I'm sorry. He's wise. He's been through some stuff. And I get to sit there and just listen and I ask questions and I learn. It was one of the things that attracted me to coming to Crossroads was just knowing that he was going to be here and that I was going to get to, like, just kind of have his, like, life experience of wisdom just ooze into me. And some of you are like, well, why haven't you been listening? <laughs> it's a whole other story, you know. But I'm grateful that he'll take the time to do that with me. Right? And so I'm trying to do that with others. And I want to encourage you to do that. Just, just you'd be surprised who you can invest your experience into. And remember this, like you grow from giving and receiving. If it's only one, you're going to be stunted. If all you do is give, you're going to burn out. If all you do is receive, you're going to go into coma of just like me and mine and I'm all this and, and you'll start believing the press about you. You got to have both. And what's fascinating is I find like the relationships that I'm in, I'm hopeful that, I'm hopeful that it's impactful regardless of which way it goes. So, so whether I'm in a relationship where I feel like I'm the real beneficiary, like, like with John, like I feel like I'm the real beneficiary there. But there's some hope in me that he enjoys having coffee with me, even if it's just me buying, you know, I don't know. I'm still working. So I have that hope. Just like when, when I might be mentoring someone, I'm looking for that reverse mentoring. I had a, a mentor in my life who wrote a book called Reverse Mentoring, and it was about how the next generation can mentor us. And that always stuck with me. So I'm always learning, trying to listen and grow. These relationships are symbiotic. And we see it, if you're, if you're familiar with the show, with Rebecca and Keely, because Keely's the one who storms into Rebecca's office and says, if you don't tell Ted what you're doing, I will. And she actually pulls out of Rebecca a sense of a moral compass in the midst of her pain and her hurt. She kind of becomes a North Star for her. And it makes both of them better. And it makes the world a better place. And that's really what this is about. Again, church words. How do we give glory to God? Whatever that means. To me, that means how do I make the world a better place and how do I become a better person, right? That's like normal speak for all glory to God. I just don't know what that is. Other than living my life in the most excellent way I know how as a peacemaker. And what happens?
happens when we do this, when we invest into ourselves through mentoring and we give of ourselves to others, it moves us from mediocre, I got an M word for you, to motivated. And I think that's powerful. I think living a motivated life is a life of excellence because motivated people grow. Motivated people want to see excellence not just in themselves, but in the world around them. And motivated people understand the difference between success and satisfaction. Right? There's a difference between success and set. You can be say, I want you to have a successful marriage, a successful spiritual, vibrant life, vit- spiritual vitality. Success at work, absolutely. But I don't know that I, as your pastor, as your friend, want you to be satisfied. Because that leads to complacency, which leads to mediocrity. But to be motivated to believe that there are even greater things ahead. No matter what it looks like in the present moment. And I've sat in the present moment long enough to know that sometimes it's hard to see that there are better days ahead. But what we have to do to get there is to have that motivation. And here's the thing. I believe motivated people inspire excellence and beauty in the world. And I just think our world could use as much excellence and as much beauty as possible. So we're going to have communion together. If you're here today and uh, you are new, this is your first time here, you are invited to this table. It's a metaphorical table. As you can see, there's no table here. But we have stations throughout the auditorium where there are these trays. I call them hubcaps. When you see inside, they look like hubcaps. (laughs) We do weird stuff in church, right? So... And there's a little cup, if you've never done this before, it's a little cup that has some juice in it, and there's another little cup that has a piece of bread. And these are symbols. They're metaphors, okay? They're symbols and metaphors for this idea that the ultimate reality of life is love, and that the the most amazing, beautiful, excellent picture of that deep reality that holds us all together, that sometimes we call God, is seen in the person of Jesus who lived a nonviolent life of a peacemaker to show us that God does not demand religion, that God does not want us to feel like we have all these laws, but God wants is love and, and loved us so much that gave his life to say, I cannot put violence back into the world because violence will just create more violence. And that is ultimately what sin is. And so the bread and the juice just remind us what nourishes us, what strengthens us, is that reality, that divine presence that we're all swimming in. And faith is simply this gift to believe what has always been true of you, that you are deeply connected to God, that you are in Christ. And so we do this together. And you might go, I have been like, what did you just say, Brian? What are you talking about? There's something powerful about just experiencing the mystery. And so you're invited because this isn't our table, this is God's table. And so we say that the body of Christ is broken for you and the blood of Christ is shed for you and for all 8 billion people on the planet equally. And that's what unites us. That's what unites us. It's not what we believe. It's not where we grew up. It's not what unites us is that we are held by this deep mystery that we call God that is love as revealed in our traditions. And so... For the next few moments, we're going to sing a couple of songs. I want to encourage you to come and receive communion. And when you're ready, drink the juice, eat the bread. It's just an opening of your heart to God's presence. And while you're doing that, ask yourself this question. What are you inviting me into, God? 
What are you inviting me into today? Maybe it's to explore investing and mentoring the next generation. We have great opportunities right here at your church with middle school and high school students and elementary kids. That's what volunteering is. It's mentoring. It's pouring your experience and your life into another generation. And so maybe it's that. Maybe God's kind of inviting you into reaching out to someone that you would like to mentor you. It's going to take a little courage because you've got to kind of humble. They might say no. Who knows? Right? Maybe it's you reaching out to someone that you want to mentor, that you think this, this person's got all kinds of really amazing, raw gifts and skills. I want to see if they'd love to learn. And you just kind of offer yourself, maybe that. Maybe it's something else. The band's going to lead us in a new song. And this song is, is a really amazing lyric that it's very churchy, okay? <laughs> That's okay. You're in church. I don't know if you know it or not. Um, <laughs> I know that can be confusing with me sometimes. But um, this song says, I want my life to be defined by this phrase, I'm crucified with Christ. And if you're new to Bible, that phrase comes from a guy named Paul who wrote a letter. And in this letter, he said, my life is found hidden in Christ. And I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And he talks about, it's, I have to this choice in my life. Do I live or do I die? And in both, I find Christ. And so there's this beautiful metaphorical language in this song. But it just comes down to this point that my life is defined. The way I interact at work, the way I interact with my partner, the way I interact with my children is that I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And so I live and I respond in that way. And that's what this song is. And this is kind of going to be a theme song for us, spoiler alert, for this next year, where our emphasis for Peace is Worth It is called, is about a vibrant faith. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to live by faith. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able to this morning. If you notice someone around you who is not as mobile as you are, would you please serve them communion? If you come to one of the tables and the tray is empty, there's, they're all around, so feel free to do that. And then we'll be back with some announcements, and then we'll get out of here for our celebration, our blessing, all that good stuff.